tuned in to Word of Mom Radio here on the Word of Mom Media Network. Welcome to the Village Vision Podcast, where community collaboration and care converge. I'm Dr. Crystal Morrison, and I'm honored to be your host on this incredible journey. As a firm believer in the power of a united village, I'm thrilled to bring you inspiring stories, research, and projects that break down barriers in child and family care. Through heartfelt conversations with experts, advocates, and those with lived experiences, we'll showcase the transformative impact of collective support. So join me on the Village Vision podcast as we explore the remarkable collaborations that lead to better outcomes, foster a sense of community, and inspire action to improve care for ourselves and everyone around us. On today's episode, I'm here with Dr. Emil Kaus. Dr. Kaus is an autism self-advocate, vice chairman of the Board of Autism South Africa, member of the Commonwealth Disability Forum, and also the newly elected president of the Board of Directors at the International Council for Development and Learning. Welcome. Thank you, Dr. Morrison. It's always a pleasure to be here. Wonderful. It's so good to see you again. I know we just met and chatted recently, but it's it's really good to see you again, and I'm so glad that you are able to not only join me on the Village Vision podcast, but you're also going to be contributing to the book that Jeanette and I are releasing called Superheroes on the Spectrum. So thank you in advance for being a part of that as well. It's a great pleasure. And it's it's all in the name of neurodiversity and spreading the voice of autism and Together, we are stronger, and I believe that it will make a tremendous difference in society. That's absolutely the case. And you, in fact, are are doing an immense amount of work in terms of advocacy. You're a, a special educator. You are a researcher. You are involved in policy. And we're all going to talk about that. But I would love for you to share with our audience more about your personal journey and your why behind being involved in such a big way advocating for neurodiversity. Like you just said, that I wear different hats in society. And when I do international presentations or when I speak to parents or even when I do autism awareness, I always refer to the different hats that I wear, considering as a specialist teacher, as someone that does international autism awareness at United Nations meetings as an autistic adult and as someone who's in the research field but also more recently being a specialist teacher but more importantly the main reason why I do autism advocacy is to raise autism awareness and basically my overall goal was to share my story to parents to never give up but also to make a difference in the field of education, but more recently, employment of neurodiverse individuals and mental health, and especially relationships as well. 
because they are intertwined with each other when you look specifically at how uh, that child becomes an adult. By fighting for the rights of neurodiverse individuals on the highest political platform that you can get, it was important for me to create awareness by forming a relationship with international stakeholders. And those stakeholders will basically form the committee of practice that we desperately need in order for us to raise awareness. But I see now, just to uh, give you a little bit of background where I'm currently, my advocacy, especially on neurodiversity change, referring to my role on the Commonwealth Disabled People's Forum, while not only doing advocacy for the autistic individual or for the neurodiverse population, but I see myself more as an ambassador mm -hmm. for different disabilities in South Africa. Right. Uh, giving the voice of the voiceless uh, hope. But I think when you look specifically at where I'm currently at as an international autism South advocate, I realized that, or as a, rather as an international display activist, is that although our challenges are different, referring to uh, the different countries from a first world to a third world country, right. we are all for an inclusive and accessible society. And of course, we are trying to eliminate stigmas by following a social ecological approach by eliminating the medical model. Great. So tell me a little bit about your journey with neurodiversity. I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that. Well, my story is a story of hope, but especially one where parents, or where I encourage parents not to give up hope. I was diagnosed with autism at the age of three and a half years, mm -hmm. and it, it was actually a specialist educator that noticed that I portrayed ASD tendencies. And eventually they called my parents in for a meeting, and they recommended that I need to go for evaluation assessment. The tendencies that I portrayed were the common autism tendencies. When you specifically look at uh, communication, if we, when you look at heightened anxiety levels, limited eye contact, a general frustration in behavior, mm -hmm. and it was basically recommended that I need to go into a specialist education environment. Because if you think about when I was diagnosed in a time where autism was not actually so popular when it comes to research, Right. Or there was only a limited of specialists that knew all about autism research, in particularly the different challenges that these individuals experience or the difference of these individuals in different settings. And I eventually got received early intervention and there was a support network that supported me, referring to an educational psychologist, a speech therapist, mm -hmm. and also an uh, occupational therapist. Mm -hmm. And that happened between the ages of three and a half years to the ages of nine years. Mm -hmm. And um, keep in mind that I was uh, non-speaking to the age of 15 years. Wow. But through continuous stimulation exposure, I, I was placed into a mainstream school. And although it was extremely difficult, 
I had the support of a parental figure that continues stimulated me on academic, on emotional, social level. Mm -hmm. And of course, when it comes to the general experiences of neurodiverse children in public schools, when it comes to bullying, when it comes to heightened frustration levels, general isolationism, a distancing of sports events, of different cultural and social events because of one's difference, uh, it affected my mental well-being, my my health as well. For sure. Uh, emotional well-being. And therefore, uh, I was placed into a remedial school yeah, from there, where the class sizes were smaller, mm -hmm. I eventually coped academically. And I would say after the age of 15 years, I started, my speech started to develop. And I started to basically speak uh, full sentences. And yeah, you know, um, it was an uphill battle. But for me personally, in my story, the one thing that stands out is uh, continuous support, but also uh, the fact when you consider neuroplasticity, mm -hmm. where one's brain develops new neurons. And the more stimulation I got, the more skills I learned. And that basically helped me to cope on emotional, social, on cognitive, but also on physical level as well and that was basically my story in a nutshell and although i am now 30 years old i still experience challenges when it comes to emotional regulation and also more generally mental health mm -hmm. which is now a common thing which we need to do more awareness when it comes to change of environment change of expectations in a particular environment and i one we need to remember that when you think about the autism spectrum it's a lifelong diagnosis and therefore these right. individuals continuous support. And although these individuals might cope uh, in the environments with the people that they're familiar with right. and with the expectations in any environment, these individuals still need continuous support. Because as soon as there's a disruption in the routine and there's a change, one basically needs to go back to that support in order for you for that individual to be comfortable and to make sure that they adhere to the regulations and expectations. So one of the things that I, I want to come back to, Dr. Howes, is that you're talking about being non-speaking until you were 15 years old, but you were still in school. You were still being stimulated. You had a parent and different people in your life who were still exposing you to things. And one of the things that I think is a very poor assumption among the outside world is that non-speaking must mean that that individual is not intelligent and is not understanding. And that couldn't be farther from the truth, right? There are so many people that I know who are on the spectrum who might have been non-speaking, but they were hearing and learning and becoming educated, right? But they couldn't necessarily form that into words. There's, of course, many other examples where people have continued to be non-speaking for the duration of their life, right? But we often make this assumption that non-speaking must mean, you know, not intelligent or not learning or not comprehending, right? And that couldn't be farther from the truth, right? I totally agree with you on that opinion. And that just shows you how far we came in society when it comes to general awareness. Right. And also the different research that's available, the contributions of autistic adults as researchers, 
or their participation in research, the advocacy that these adults do, I'm referring out to an international scale, the, uh, the podcasts, the interviews that they do at conferences, or even in newspaper, the articles that's written, parents that comes out and share their personal story in new schools that are registered as non-profit organizations to assist parents due to a lack of support in the mainstream education system. There's a lot of awareness that is currently happening, which is actually a resemblance of the social model by eliminating the medical model. Now, when you think about this medical model that I'm referring to, Mm -hmm. just in your own words, as you said there, it refers to seeing the diagnosis as a social ill, that these individuals are basically, uh, their they difference is regarded as a social ill or, or as a disability, that these individuals are unable to cope in their specific environment, which is, of course, a result of the discrimination and victimization, the isolation Mm -hmm. that these individuals will receive. And with that comes the pre-perception that individuals that are neurodiverse, referring to the masculine and ableist expectations of society, Mm -hmm. that because these individuals are different, they are not masculine or they are not ableist, and they do not fit into that box of being capable or normal, so to speak. So these individuals would basically be isolated and there's a pre-perception that these individuals won't cope in society Mm -hmm. or they won't be able to cope in their former education system, uh, uh, finish the primary or high school, get university exemption and study further Mm -hmm. or towards society. So there's a common perception towards individuals that are non-speaking and I'm sure that especially when you think about the education levels in society uh, and I think I still believe that the biggest disadvantage that we currently have or the biggest problem that we have mm-hmm. in the field of autism or neurodiversity is the fact that we have a society that's uneducated when it comes to understanding the individual understanding the different needs and understanding that these individuals have got different abilities. And when you think about uh, the perception that individuals with autism have got are non-communicative or they've got a, a specific deficit according to the medical model, these individuals tend to be isolated because of their difference. And of course, I speak from not only from an academic perspective, but also from a a specialist teacher, but also from someone who's autistic adult myself, because I experienced these perceptions as well, that although I couldn't speak, I had the sentences in my head. Mm -hmm. And of course, I could read in my head, but I was, for the first couple of years of my life, I wasn't able to pronounce it. Mm -hmm. I was unable to follow a conversation. I did not know how to start a conversation how to end a conversation. And that was one of the fundamental things that I need to learn as my speech developed. And I must say that referring to neuroplasticity, where the brain learns new skills, I still believe that I'm, as a 30-year-old, I'm still in my process 
of mm-hmm. developing my speech. And I still believe that it's a continuous process. And of course, that these individuals, although they are not speaking, and of course, you know, we've got now uh, different devices when it comes to accessibility. We've got right. different foundations when it comes to assisting the individual. IAC is a wonderful assistive, right. just to name an example. So I think we are now at that stage in society where we've got um, more young self-advocates that are finishing school that are basically on the verge of doing advocacy internationally about the different speaking out, uh, making videos, participating in different events. So I think we are there. Yeah, mm-hmm. We are there when it comes to awareness. But yet again, like I said, as soon as that individual finishes school, you know, they need to work. They need to make a contribution to society. And that is where education comes in. Education in the workplace, how to accommodate, to provide the reasonable accommodations for that individual mm-hmm. in society. Because they've got the academic capabilities but do the employer understand the difference? Right. And that's one of the things. And therefore, we need to move from advocacy to action. Absolutely. And let's talk about that a little bit more because you are involved in lots of different aspects of bringing awareness and action, not only to South Africa, but to the world. And I want to talk a little bit more about your work with the United Nations, especially around international policy and inclusive employment. You know, when you and I talked, one of the things that we often see a lot of awareness and acceptance and and discussion around children with autism. And as you and I well know, it's not as if autism becomes cured and magically goes away, you know, this is something that people continue to to live with. This is thinking differently, having a different lens on the world. That's what neurodiversity is. And so talk to us a little bit more about the work that you're doing around inclusive employment. Well, you basically just touched on uh, my international advocacy. And, you know, my advocacy is basically based on the UNCRPD when it comes to the rights of persons with disabilities in all sectors of society. Mm -hmm. And because of my background when it comes to education Mm -hmm. and my expertise when it comes to education, I basically advocate for education. You know, my opinions were very strong when it comes to education. But as an adult on the autism spectrum, especially attending different, meeting different uh, people, ministers, attending higher political events with policymakers, key stakeholders, the World Bank, just to name a few, on the highest political stage that one can get in terms of international disability advocacy, there's a major gap that we experience. And of course, uh, my opinions is also based on, my arguments on these higher political levels is based on what I um, study, uh, the research that I'm doing, but also from autistic adults' perspective in my daily lives, as someone that's autistic adult, as someone that's in a relationship mm-hmm. with a fellow autistic individual. Mm-hmm. So I draw my inspiration from that and my arguments from that And one of the most shocking things that I most recently experienced on the highest platform at the United Nations meeting in New York Mm -hmm. is that there's a lot of awareness when it comes to inclusive education. And there's a lot of stakeholders that attends 
uh, excite me when it comes to inclusive education and mm -hmm. accessible education. If I can give you a number, I would base probably say 300 delegates. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to employment of neurodiverse individuals, right. when it comes to the mental health of neurodiverse individuals, there will only be a handful when, I, when you look specifically 30 or 10 or even 20 delegates that were in those meetings. And I was basically see, thinking, and that was one of my biggest arguments on our political platform, is that we need to move away from inclusive education to transformative education, because right. that child becomes an adult. And you see, I still believe that when it comes to advocacy and the research that's, that's basically currently there, Referring from a global self perspective, there's not a lot of knowledge when it comes to the, the employment of neurodiverse individuals from a global self perspective mm -hmm. uh, in a third world country. And therefore, you know, it's either a parent that needs to start a non-profit organization to mm -hmm. help a child to get a job or to get employed or for that child to get a purpose. So for me, my basically my main arguments was that we need to focus more on mental health and creating job opportunities for neurodiverse individuals because that child becomes an adult and mm -hmm. that adult needs to contribute towards society and it's as simple as that we need uh, stakeholders to get involved in creating awareness Mm -hmm. when it comes to neurodiverse individuals in the working force. Even if that individual basically works in a coffee shop making coffees or basically, you know, doing a work that gives them a purpose. Right. You know, it will basically help that individual to basically cope and it will be good for their mental health. You know, there's a shocking statistic in the global south, especially from a South, south African perspective, mm -hmm. that, you know, we've got the highest unemployment rate of neurodiverse individuals in the world. Oh. We've got the highest suicide rate of neurodiverse individuals in the world. I'm, wow. I'm talking only from South Africa, especially from someone from the third world country. The living age of autistic adult in South Africa is 35 years old when it comes wow. to neurodiversity. And it basically circles back to education, but more importantly, mental health. Agreed. And for me, it's all about, you know, creating a purpose for those individuals, but also more importantly, helping them to be able to contribute towards society and having a purpose. And look... On policy level, we can have the best policies in the world. You know, in South Africa, we've got the White Paper 6. And all countries' constitutions is based on the UNCRPD. Yeah. Now, I can mention a few the different articles, but it doesn't comprehend the fact that these individuals need to be able to be accommodated in society. Because, and we will go back to the employer, it's, it will be the employer's choice not to accommodate those individuals. So um, my advocacy at the moment is basically based on, of course, the mental health of those individuals being in a relationship with a neurodiverse individual, mm -hmm. but also more importantly for that individual to have a purpose. Mm -hmm. And although we are in different countries, our socioeconomic circumstances are different, we are on the same boat, you know, by doing more advocacy surrounding adults on the spectrum or that near diverse or publishing more articles or doing more research between the ages of 15 and 30. You know, that will make a major difference. The ratio between male and females on the spectrum, the difference between them, 
So yeah, there's a lot of work. There's a lot of awareness that still needs to be done. There's a lot of research that still needs to be done as well. But I realized the importance of research when it comes to doing advocacy and making arguments that we can make a difference internationally. No, I, there's so much that you said that obviously I agree with a hundred percent and, you know, it's, it's very frustrating to hear that South Africa has the highest number of unemployment and suicide rates among those who are neurodiverse, you know, but the fact is, is that across the world, the unemployment rates of neurodiverse individuals is significantly higher than their neurotypical counterparts. The suicide rates of neurodiverse individuals is significantly higher than their neurotypical counterparts. And so, you know, yes, you have a very strong voice from South Africa, but your role on the international stage as an advocate is more important than ever before, right? And so, you know, as we wrap up, this podcast episode, there's so many important messages that that you've shared. As our listeners, what is a key message that you want to leave them with uh, regarding the work that you're doing and what they need to know? The key message that I want, basically want to give is that I want public entities, society in general to accommodate neurodiverse individuals in a working place or in any sector. Mm-hmm. We need to become aware of the different emotional, cognitive and social challenges that these individuals experience. Mm-hmm. And we need to basically understand where the, where these individuals are developmentally. We need to understand from the perspectives of uh, where, from how they were raised, from which family dynamic they come from, and also their cultural beliefs as well, because there's a big misconception out there when it comes to neurodiverse individuals, especially referring to how those individuals are coping in society. And when we take all of those aspects into consideration, then we will be able to make the necessary risk, the risk by accommodation in order to accommodate those individuals. And although those individuals might not have the skill, a specific skill set when you you refer to being in a big leadership position in a working place, need to consider that we can make the risk by accommodations by building a support network in order to support those individuals. You know, I refer always to an ecosystem where and that's the one that myself and my wife, and we are so lucky to have my, our mother-in-law, well, my mother-in-law, same as mom, to assist us when it comes to um, being our support, when it comes to assisting us when we need support. And that's the difference. If we can build a support network to support those individuals from a child or even from an adult's perspective, remember the diagnosis is lifelong, then that individual will be able to cope because neurodiverse individuals can and they can contribute to society. Remember, they want a purpose, and if we can give them a purpose, then those individuals will contribute to society, and it will be important for their mental health. Absolutely right, and and purpose drives everything, Emil, as you well know. Uh, well, we're going to have Dr. Emil house all of his contact information in our show notes so that you can 
connect with him and learn more about his work. So grateful that you were here joining us today on the Village Vision podcast. I'm so grateful that you shared your story, that you are so dedicated to this work and so active in advocacy, not only for your own country in South Africa, but also the world. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you, Crystal. It was always an honor. And yeah, together we are strong. Yeah, um, I think by holding hands with different organizations, with different people like yourself, the com- we are building the community of practice, and that's what we need in order to basically make a difference and implement change, because that's what we desperately need now. We need change, and we need action. Absolutely. Well, thank you for joining us on this episode of the Village Vision Podcast. I hope you found inspiration and valuable insight from our conversation today. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, leave a review, and share. But thank you. Thank you for being a part of the Village Vision podcast on Word of Mom Radio. Take care, and let's keep shining a light on the power of community, collaboration, and care. She is sure. She is sure. She is strong. She is strong. She is true. She is true. She is brave. She is brave. She is bold. She is you. She is sure. She is sure. She is strong. She is strong. She is true. She is true. She is brave. She is brave. She is bold. She is bold. She is you. Sure of herself. Yeah, she takes care of biz. Powerful and strong. Yeah, she knows who she is. Has integrity. Woman strong and true. You know her by name. See this woman is you. She is sure. She is strong. She is strong. She is true. She is true. She is brave. She is brave. She is bold. She is bold. She is you. She is you. She is you. She is you. She is sure. She is strong. She is strong. She is true. She is true. She is brave. She is brave. She is bold. She is bold. She is you. She is true. She is true. She is brave. She is brave. She is bold.